We are making a list and checking it twice. We're going to find out who's violent, not nice. This was a public information film made by Police Scotland showing the force's intention of getting tough on perpetrators of a domestic abuse. It's a huge problem. In England and Wales alone, 1.6 million women experience abuse each year. And during the first seven weeks of lockdown, that surged, with forces receiving one call every 30 seconds. It's likely, however, that this is vastly underreported. Women find it difficult to go forward to the police because of fear that they may not be believed, that they risk angering their abuser further, or that nothing will happen. There was one group in particular who were finding it hard to get justice. Women whose abusers were police officers themselves. Until an investigative journalist got a tip-off. I was talking to a friend and she, she mentioned that um, somebody that she knew uh, had been abused by a police officer. And the woman had reported it to the police, but apparently nothing had been done about it. And so that kind of got me thinking. And I kind of wondered if it was something that was a more widespread issue that had happened to more people. It goes so much further because in these cases it looks like much more of a deliberate cover-up, a deliberate uh, sort of act of loyalty towards the officer who's accused. In the UK it's been completely ignored. That's not something that's been picked up either in the press or, or in the academic literature. But that one journalist story, written by a young reporter called Alexandra Hill, did mean that the issue was picked up and action was taken. In this case, a super complaint was filed about the police. A super complaint is a new mechanism that was brought in a couple of years ago to allow designated organisations to complain about widespread issues in policing. So before you had to kind of use one case and complain about that one case as an example of wider things. But now you can complain about issues that uh, spread across many forces, which is obviously this really applies. It took... Uh, first of all, Alex, to join those dots and pull it out as a particular issue and for us then to kind of really see that bigger picture and see how much more serious it is than the general failings that we were already seeing. Welcome to the Know How Podcast special five-part series, Reporting Injustice. This is a series where we look at some of the key stories in recent years that were turning points in how we saw some fundamental issues. We talk to the journalists who uncovered them about their struggles to bring these stories to public view. And we speak to experts who explain how these reports altered the way society perceived pressing matters of race, class and sexism. From Windrush to Bill Cosby, Grenfell to missing and murdered Indigenous women, Reporting Injustice looks at the stories behind the stories. While getting her MA in journalism at City University of London, Alexandra Heal started to look into the issue of domestic abuse perpetrated by police officers. In this episode, we'll be talking to her about the long process of uncovering this issue. We'll also be talking to Simon Kurz, who formerly worked for the police and who now researches this at Anglia Ruskin University, and Nogar Afer, a solicitor at the Centre for Women's Justice. Hill first learned about this issue through a friend, and she thought it might be a good idea for her MA project. So she decided to investigate further. I set about phoning 150 domestic abuse charities around the country, and I think it was like 20 police action lawyers, asking them if they'd worked with anybody who this had happened to. And a, quite a 
large number of them said they had. It took her a full week working all the time to find the names of all these organisations and then to call each one of them. Because you're always taught to call rather than email. And I think that was so important because if you email, they just ignore it. If you call, they have to kind of do something about it. Heal also sent out freedom of information requests to the police forces around the country to find out what their policies were. And again, that took a, a really long time because you know you you're, you send a couple of a few FOIs first to test them and make sure that you've got them right and you haven't made any you haven't missed anything. And so you get those responses first, which takes a month or at least well. sometimes they take far longer but they're supposed to take a maximum a month and then you send them out to all the rest of the forces in in the UK which was 48 um, including specialist forces. As her investigation progressed Heal discovered this was an issue that had not really been tackled in any serious way by the police. While her research found that there were four cases every week in which police officers were accused of domestic abuse, fewer than one in ten resulted in any discipline at all. There were various reasons for this as Simon Kerrs makes clear. Police culture is not conducive to uh, responding to allegations of domestic abuse. It's patriarchal, it's hierarchical, it's, it's secretive. All of those issues suggest there are, there are structural issues at, at play here. And generally, what I found was a lack of awareness of this issue among officers. They weren't aware or weren't prepared to say they were aware that um, officer perpetrated domestic abuse was an issue which required addressing. While it's been difficult over the years for many women to report domestic abuse, the stakes seem to be higher for women who make complaints about abusers within the police force, as Noga Offer from the Centre of Women's Justice explains. In a way, the most shocking thing is the most routine thing, I suppose, which is that feeling that there's some lack of integrity going on behind the scenes. You know, accounts where she suddenly discovers that, in fact, the investigator is in the same football team, you know, as the husband that's being investigated, where she's been told, no, it's independent. And then suddenly she sees on social media, you know, there's a picture of the football team and they're both in it. For the story to be publishable, however, Alexandra Hill had to find women who were prepared to tell their story. As Simon Kerr's and Noga Offer's point makes clear, it was often difficult to find women to actually come forward. It was really about building up that relationship of trust. It took a while to, to build it up, but then once we had that relationship established they were really keen to tell their story because they felt like they'd had no access to any sort of justice through the formal routes through reporting to the police and that nothing had happened and they felt like they'd been silenced and this was a chance for them to tell tell their story the stories that she discovered through these interviews however showed that there was a clear problem about how police forces dealt with abuse when it was carried out by one of their own The most shocking one was that this woman who was being her police officer partner was abusive to both her and the children. Her one of the child's teachers reported a safeguarding concern about the the husband and um, the child was interviewed by police officers from the, the, the husband's force. This child was so young and they said that the father had tried to suffocate and strangle them. But the police did nothing about it. They did nothing to follow up on it. There was no evidence So in any of the police, you know, there was nothing to say that, the, that they had followed up on it. And that was just, to me, that was really shocking. By now, Heal had started work at the Bureau for Investigative Journalism. There, her bosses, Marion Jones and Miriam Wells, supported her continuing work to make this stand up. It was important, though, to get the police's side of the story as well. The forces we were naming 
just kind of said no comment. But we went to the national police bodies to, you know, put these allegations to them. And they said, oh, well, we have really robust procedures in place to make sure that this wouldn't happen. But my FOI results showed that less than one in three forces had any sort of specific measures in place in their policies or procedures to stop this happening. It was a nerve-wracking time for Heal. It was her first sole investigation. She had only recently graduated. She had built up relationships with seven women who had agreed to be featured in her story. When her bosses said it was finally ready to be published, she recalls her feelings. I couldn't sleep. And actually, the, the day it was published, the source who had really bad PTSD, um, she, she lived on her own and we were quite worried about her being on her own when it all came, when the story was published. So I actually got an overnight train on the night it was being published to be with her for that morning. I was like so nervous to see it published, but it was also really exciting as well. Heel's story began to make ripples very quickly. Simon Kurz, who was researching this subject at Anglia Ruskin, remembers how he felt when the story came out. Honestly, I, I, I thought I'd been scooped. I had, I had conflicting feelings when I, I, I got up one morning, I turned the BBC News on and it was, it was kind of headline. But I very quickly made contact with Alex um, because I'd submitted uh, um, an abstract to the European Domestic Violence Conference in Oslo prior to the story being broke. Once I'd contacted Alex, I said, why don't we collaborate on this and, and co-present? Alex had, a, had a, a specific data set that I revisited with some amendments. So we, were, we had two, two data sets that we could compare and kind of uh, uh, synergize, if you like. The story also started to make the national media. This is a report from ITV's flagship News at 10 programme, who interviewed a woman who'd found herself in this situation. He told me that if I told anybody, they weren't going to believe me because he'd been in the force for so long and had friends in high places. I would rather get murdered in the street than phone the police now. Heal found herself talking to senior politicians and police officers as a result of this story. I was invited to speak on to the all-party parliamentary group on domestic abuse. The National Victims Commissioner wrote to the Home Secretary about, about the story and um, saying something needed to be done about it. And I met with a senior, senior national police leader who said they were really shocked by the findings. I guess the most exciting thing was the super complaint, which the Centre for Women's Justice um, started working on after the first story was published. So we did a workshop at the National Women's Aid Conference um, just on um, challenging police failings generally. We mentioned it there and quite a few of the women in the room who were support workers working in frontline organisations sort of said, oh yeah, I've come across that. So we could tell that it was sort of something that people um, were sort of responding to. Noga Offer is a solicitor at the Centre for Women's Justice. She's been at the heart of the campaign to try to change practices around how victims are treated in these circumstances. The centre decided to use a new mechanism to reform police practice, the so-called super complaint, which only came about in November 2018. Super complaints are completely different to that. They are investigations into systemic issues. So they look at something which is a trend or a pattern in policing that sort of goes across the board and affects the public generally. So in a super complaint, um, there's no investigation into the individual women's cases. The cases that we put forward were just an illustration 
of what we said was a wider pattern or a wider problem. Media coverage of the work the centre was doing meant that while they originally had 20 cases to use as illustrations, this number had swelled to 99 by last month as more women came forward to tell their experiences. What the super complaint was calling for was clear. Any complaints should be investigated by an external force. There should be a bespoke channel for women to report so they don't report to their partner's force. And finally, for forces to treat such behaviour as misconduct. What's happened in quite a few cases is that police forces have said it's not potential misconduct because although you know, you've misconducted yourself, you know, you've done something wrong yourself, it doesn't discredit the police. You just discredited yourself, you haven't discredited the police. So we've got a case, for example, where a police officer was lying in his evidence to the family court and admitted lying in the witness box. How can you have confidence that somebody... So, okay, he himself wasn't doing domestic abuse cases, but how can you have confidence that a police officer tells the truth in, the, in court if they're prepared to lie in the family courts? So what we want is clear guidance for internal disciplinary officers within the police to accept that although this is done off duty it always does discredit the police force and that it should always be dealt with as a potential um, misconduct issue. For Heal there was further recognition for the impact of her story. And the winner of the Paul Foote 2020 awards is Alexandra Heal. I couldn't even believe I was shortlisted. And then I got a call saying, oh, hi, um, I'm calling from the Paul Foot Award. We were just wondering if you're free to be interviewed by Ian Hislop tomorrow. And then he paused and he said, because you won. And I literally could not believe it. I cried and I was, I just, yeah, it was just a, such a great moment. As for the long-term impact of the story, the super complaint is a process that takes time to complete. The complaint was submitted in March, but plans about the form the investigation will take have only just been concluded, and it's likely to be another 18 months until it is completed. For our interviewees, what effect do they think it will have? Well, the jury's still out on this, so I think we just don't know yet whether this system is going to bear fruit and come up with something that is sort of genuinely uh, you know, transformative or finds genuine solutions. But what I would say is, so far... Both the super complaints that we've done have had really positive spin-offs. So they've kind of given us a platform for the issue. If we want to address and prevent domestic abuse, it cannot be down to agencies. It has to be down to, to society as a whole. It needs a holistic and a, a systemic um, approach, which we are so far from. It's not even funny. It feels amazing to see the work you do start to have an impact obviously until we see material changes in the policies at police forces then you can't really sit back and relax but um there's already some movement like after the super complaint was submitted a couple of forces started trialing some new training so there is already some some movement which is really great um but yeah until i actually see the results of the super complaint i guess i won't be 100 percent satisfied finally what role did media play in all of this Journalists are often criticized for how they cover complex stories. Heal's reporting may be an exception, but beyond her individual recognition, was it significant? I've been surprised how much, as a charity, when you get issues out there and they're debated in the press, suddenly you see a shift in what the police are saying. And 
a lot of these things, you know, there are two arguments, you know, there are two sides to every argument. And when the press starts to see things in a particular way, it does start to shift thinking about it. And for Heal, it was important that the women had their chance to speak. What's really nice is that all of them have said that they're said how happy they are that there seems to be movement with the with impact from the story and that things seem to be changing because really the the main reason most of them said they wanted to talk to me and tell their story was that they didn't want another woman to have to go through the same thing they did so i think hopefully that that's some sort of compensation thank you for listening to the know-how and the fourth in our special series reporting injustice it was presented by Dr. Lindsay Blumel and Dr. Glenda Cooper and produced by Atina Dimitrova. For more information, please go to our website, thenowhowpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at KnowHowPodcast or on Facebook at The Know How Podcast. In our last episode. The significant, persistent and deliberate pattern of systemic racial and gendered human and indigenous rights violations and abuses is the cause of the disappearances, murders and violence. And this is genocide. When you lose those people, you're losing part of your culture. You're losing someone who had knowledge of our culture. You're losing someone who had extreme value to people. And you're losing someone who played a role in their community. I don't get to tell my story in the way that I really want to, I have to say the story that's appealing to media or to policymakers, or that's not going to get me arrested. We talked to activists about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people, and the reporters who are trying to shed light on this largely overlooked crisis.